she read that exactly the way I wrote that, too. So, thank you, Olga. Yeah, that was a scary, scary thing for Dominic and family. I met Olga like the like uh, January through March, whenever the soccer season ran in '89. The first January we were here, because I was uh, coaching Dominic and my boys and some other kids on the soccer team. A few years before that in Shreveport, I had a very interesting experience, Wendy, because the very first soccer game I ever saw, I was actually coaching it, and uh, that was a weird that was a weird thing, but it all worked out. So, yeah, some people, I'm, uh, I can remember the end of the season party we had at our house, and Olga came and kind of helped us organize that, and I thought, man, that is one smart cookie, man, she she uh, can organize stuff and very articulate, and then years later, Debbie and Olga were both on staff at Horace Mann, and we bumped into them under unusual circumstances, and they ended up in the church, so... Uh, I can't imagine what it was like doing TBF without you guys, but I'm glad I'm probably not going to have to find out. (laughs) Um, We're going to conclude our current Life of Christ Beyond the A to Z system today as we look at the Great Commission, Matthew 28. And then, Lord willing, weather permitting, we want to do a two-week mini Christmas season uh, study, and we will look at the history of Christmas and then we'll look at the theology of Christmas, and we'll emphasize that the real, real meaning of Christmas isn't peace on earth, even though that's a spinoff of the real meaning. And doesn't the real, real meaning isn't it's more blessed to give than receive, even though that's a good thing, and Jesus said that, and I believe that. But the real, real meaning of Christmas is the babe in that manger was and is the God-man Savior. That's the real meaning. So we're going to stress that again as we try to every Christmas. But uh, let's first pray for our teachability to God's word today and also for our troops, peace officers, oops, firefighters, including our local men and women who protect and serve us. Lindell, would you leave? Lindell is a guy that loves the word. He's my kind of guy. To warm up your capacity for abstract thought, top five signs you might be a TBFer. You have no idea what an offering plate is? <laughs> we have a box in the back. You absolutely love the sign-up list. <laughs> you live with the delusion that all churches provide free coffee at all their major services. Uh, to you, the first lady is not Melania in the Rose Garden, but Eve in the Garden of Eden. And you spend lots of time in prayer for your pastor, but only because... He needs a lot more than other pastors. (laughs) Let's read the Great Commission, which, as Mike said, is in verses 19 and 20. I call it the surprise ending of the most Jewish of the four Gospels. Go to not just Israel, but to the whole world. But for some context, let's go back to verse 16. This is uh, sometime during that 40-day period between the resurrection and the ascension, probably in the second half of that period. But this isn't the ascension. This is before the ascension. But the 11 disciples, and probably some other ones too, but they're being stressed here, proceeded to Galilee. That's the northern region as opposed to the southern region where Jerusalem was and still is in uh, called Judea, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. Let's hold your place there and find out about this mountain in Galilee. Go to chapter 26, verse 26 of Matthew. While they were eating the Last Supper, and the Lord was instituting the uh, Lord's Supper, which we will be celebrating in a little bit today. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, This represents my body. When he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood. This represents my blood. For the covenant, I'm going to pay for your sins with my bloody sacrificial atoning sacrifice on the cross, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. For I say to you, I will not drink of the vine from now on until the day I drink it new with you in the Father's kingdom. 
And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Verse 31, Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night in the Garden of Gethsemane. They're all going to scatter, not just Peter. But after I've been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Now, Jesus appears to them in Jerusalem on Easter, the original Easter evening. All of them assembled except for Thomas. The next week, he appears to them again in Jerusalem. But he appears to them at least twice in Galilee, including this event that's mentioned in Matthew 28 that he anticipated in Matthew 26, verse 32. Now look at uh, verses um, 1 through 7 of chapter 28. We're trying to get to the Great Commission here, which is the last two verses, the surprise ending of the most Jewish gospel. But notice what Jesus says on the day of the resurrection in chapter 28, Matthew, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn on the first day of the week, Sunday, Easter Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene, who had a very checkered past, as you know, and the other Mary came to look at the grave. The other Mary, not the mo- Mary, the mother of Jesus. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it, and his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing is white as snow, and the guards, the Roman guards who were protecting the tomb, quote-unquote, the Romans had sealed it, which refers to security and their possession of it. But God trumps all that. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. They fainted. The angel said to the woman, Don't be afraid, for I know you're looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. He is not here. He's risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he's been risen from the dead, and behold, ultimately he's going to commission you guys to do the work of the church because he's going to go ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him and get your marching orders. So with those references to Galilee in our mind, go back to the last couple of verses of this chapter, verse 16, but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee. That was always part of the plan. To the mountain which Jesus had designated, probably Mount Tabor, we saw it, we didn't go up to Tabor, but we drove past it in, in back in May. Uh, when he saw them, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. Now, what's that? Well, that word for doubtful in the Greek text, distazo means to hesitate, to waver, or to doubt. And uh, I've got a theory as to what they're wavering about, but I'll wait for a little bit to tell you what that is. Verse 18, Jesus came up, spoke to them, the risen Jesus, saying, All authority has been given me, uh, both in heaven and on earth. And I think he's talking about salvific history. In the Old Testament peg, the people of God had a promised Savior. Now the mission's accomplished, work's been done, the provided Savior has finished the work of redemption. And he's saying, I'm the exclusive issue, an issue of eternal life. Get the word out about me. But I'm not just interested in decisions. I'm interested in what? Disciples, right? So go, therefore, and make disciples. That's the only finite verb. It's the only command in the Great Commission is make disciples. Of all nations, the Christian church is the most inclusive organization in world history. You're being told we're very exclusive. We're not. All colors, countries, denominations, generations, doesn't, doesn't matter. Uh, all nations need this. Our job is to get it to all nations. That's the command. Then we have three participles of means. Going, baptizing, and teaching. I give you this. I know it's kind of early on Sunday morning. Look at a di- sentence diagram. But there's only one command in the Great Commission. And that's not make disciples of Billy Graham or John MacArthur or of the Apostle Paul or of Ron Miller or Brad McCoy or James Mitchell. Make disciples by going with the gospel, Mark 16, 16 makes that very clear in the parallel, by baptizing believers to publicly identify them in front of other Christians and the world that they really believe this stuff and they've accepted Christ. And then, this is job security for people like me, right? Teaching baptized believers, those who are identifying with Christ. Uh, disciples are believers that are living a consistent, credible Christian life. That's... That's kind of true biblical discipleship. And I want you to see that there's just one command of the Great Commission. It's to make disciples of Jesus. And we do that by being consistent and credible 
and you might call it contagious Christians, right? So when you look at this, you've got the one command, and you've got three aspects, three participles of means. You evangelize the world. You have the new believers identify publicly uh, with the faith, and then you edify them, right? Now, if you look at our purpose statement, I would say our mission statement, our secret mission statement, Anthony, is on the front of the bulletin every week, right? It's our secret mission. And it's not to glorify Brad or the next pastor, but to glorify God by actively participating in the ongoing fulfillment of the Great Commission. I grew up in a church culture where I remember they told us, we've got to go out and fulfill the Great Commission. And they were talking about Southern Baptists are going to go out and fulfill it. And I thought, that's great. Let's go do that, you know. Uh, I don't think the Southern Baptist Convention is going to do it by itself. I don't think Dallas Seminary is going to do it by itself. I know Tanglewood Bible Fellowship is not going to do it by itself. And it's certainly not going to be done because of me. I think our role, this generation, until the rapture happens, is to participate in the ongoing fulfillment. God's going to fulfill it, you know. Uh, as a body of believers for our, this local church, living as disciples of Jesus Christ, right, who collectively, what does that mean? All together, individually, serve our Savior. That's the reason we're here, right? And serve one another, functioning as a spiritual greenhouse so we can be catalyzed to grow and reproduce spiritually. So how many commands are the Great Commission? One. What's the command? Make disciples of whom? Jesus Christ, right? And uh, the local church is designed to be kind of a, an environment where you get to learn how to show agape to really dysfunctional people like me and Anthony and uh, David Bearden, okay? And Sharon's easy to love, but David's a little harder, okay? <laughs> now, you know, every year we kind of do the pogs of TBF, and we get the purpose, objectives, and goals, starting with the Great Commission. And we talk about, uh, you know, our basic objective is when we gather, we're going to edify one another, stimulate one another to love and good works. Because, Anthony, uh, you know, uh, Murray lives a lot more of his life in classrooms than in church settings. I mean, you come together, I think, to be encouraged and built up and have a chance to serve your fellow believers in church settings, but you go out and live the Christian life in the world. Confessing Jesus before men isn't saying good things about Jesus in front of this group. This isn't the world. This is the church. It's easy to tell people how much you love Jesus in front of this group. I'm going to applaud you for that. It's being a college professor and not compromising the faith in some certain settings. That's that's uh, confessing Christ before before men, before the world. Um and then our goals, where do we get our goals? We get our goals, really basic functions, from the way the apostles who heard Jesus give the Great Commission set up the first church they structured in Jerusalem. Uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, the highest form of worship is Lord's Supper, and prayers. And as a result, uh, Christians were living lives of discipleship. What does that mean? Living a consistent, credible Christian lifestyle. It wasn't just dragging unbelievers to church. Although, if you can drag an unbeliever to church peg, please do. Okay? Uh, we're not going to abuse them or do anything, but it's good for them to hear the gospel. Right? But uh, notice this. We've got one command in the Great Commission, make disciples of Jesus. You do that by going with the gospel so the world hears it and some believe by helping believers identify with Christ, starting with water baptism, and then teaching them on an ongoing way so they're under the word and in the word. So because baptism is so prominent here, I want to talk about the doctrine of baptism. There are two different kinds of baptism in the New Testament. And back in 2006, I did a tour, I did a, a mini-series when we got back from Israel that time, called Don't Be All Wet About Water Baptism. Now, who are those people? That's my first son. That's my favorite son. No, that's my first son, Jamie. That's my second son, Jonathan. And I forget her name, but that's Candace right there. No, that's Kristen, and that's Candace. And they're on the bow of a boat in the Sea of Galilee. And uh, even though I played no organized football except through middle school, in the middle school, in Birmingham, uh, had a short career, but I was the quarterback. Uh, I may as well mention all my accomplishments before I leave because you don't know that one. But I didn't get any a lot of offers and stuff. But um, 
What am I going to say? Middle school. Football. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know what? Let's just not talk about football. But, but Ken, who was a football player and was a football coach, he said, what, Brad, were you calling the offensive plays for OSU last night? Oh, boy. Oh, man. Okay. Great. That's like, that's the fingernails on the blackboard kind of thing, people. I think I may just have to retire. Okay, anyways, part of that series, Don't Be All Wet, about water baptism, we talked about civil dynamics. Let's talk about water baptism for a minute. Occasionally hear people who say, who should know better, saying, it's only the real sold-out disciples that are really saved. If that's true, according to Jesus' definition of sold-out discipleship, you got to be water baptized. So you're saying you got to be water baptized to be saved? That's a big issue the Christian church continues to fight against. But, you know, let's, let me say several things about water baptism and salvation. Background. Just generally, the Bible teaches hundreds of times salvation is by God's grace. This means you don't earn it, you don't deserve it, you can't unearn it, you can't undeserve it. It's through faith period and Christ period, to use Francis Schaeffer's famous terminology. It's apart from human works. He saved us not based on works which we've done right since, but according to his mercy. But I like Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It says, for by grace, unmerited favor, you are saved through faith and not of yourselves, as the gift of God, not of works. Baptism's a work. It's an important work. It's an important rite, R-I-T-E. It's not a saving virtue. Uh, baptism symbolizes the believer identifying publicly with the death, burial, and resurrection. Christ was on the cross. He paid for our sins. He was buried. He was room temperature, and he rose again. You can't reproduce that in the laboratory, but it really happened. And that's ultimately what you're doing. You're identifying with the crucified, risen Christ when you, as a believer, are water baptized, right? But hold it, Bible breath. How about verses like Mark 1, 4, which clearly says you have to be baptized to be saved. I mean, it says John the Baptist preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. How in the world do you get around that? You do it by correctly understanding sentence structure. Uh repentance, which means to change your mind about your sin, yourself, and your Savior. Your sin, you're sinful, and you can't fix it. Uh, you or yourself are unable to save yourself, but the Savior is the only one who can. Notice, forgiveness of sins is connected to, for, to repentance, saving repentance. And those who repent and trust and receive Christ are called to submit to the ritual of baptism. It doesn't save you any more than putting a ring on makes you married. Okay, that's the symbol I always use, right? So, you know, if I'm going to grip a golf club, I, can, I, can't, I don't grip a golf club that much anymore anyway, but I can't grip a golf club with a ring on or with a watch on. I think the first time I saw somebody really good play golf with a watch was Bernhard Langer, like the second time he won the Masters. And I said, that blows my mind. I didn't believe you could actually play decent golf with a watch on. So I guess it doesn't matter. But if I take my ring off to uh, to grip a golf club, am I still married to Debbie? Yeah. If I put this ring on Cooper, my oldest grandson, who's going to be baptized in that very tank in two weeks. Yeah. we debriefed, I debriefed him yesterday. He's good to go. Yeah. Uh, if I put this ring on him, which I did yesterday, explaining this to him, is he married to Debbie, me, or anybody? No, it's just a symbol. Right, Tyler? It's a symbol. Water baptism is a ritual. It's an important ritual. It's an important... The New Testament seems to assume it's kind of the normative way new believers are going to confess their faith uh, in the church to reaffirm Christ's lordship over the church. But baptism doesn't save. It's the repentance that saves. Well, you've got to repent and believe or believe and repent. What do you do? Let's see what... Uh, John the Baptist said about it. Look at uh, not just Mark 1. Let's see what Acts 19 says. Your best commentary are parallel passages in Scripture, right? You always start there and then let the uh, other commentaries kind of be a tertiary thing, not a primary thing. That's one thing I got from Dallas Seminary. Boy, you know, the, the commentaries are great, but... That's a tertiary level check to make sure you're not totally off the reservation. Short, short-hand version of this, but look at Acts 19, 4, Paul's preaching in Ephesus, third missionary journey. And uh, Paul says, you with me? You want to see this? Acts 19, verse 4. Paul, the apostle Paul, he wrote 13 of the 27 New Testament books, so he's a pretty good source. 
said John, talking about John the Baptist back in Mark 1.4 and other places, baptized with the baptism of metanaeo, which means to change your mind about your sin. You've got it. It's your fault. Yourself, you can't fix it. And the Savior, he's the only one who can because he died for your sins and rose again. John baptized the baptism of repentance, telling the people to do what? It's not two things. It's the same thing. If I tell Kyleen, with her sin nature, <laughs> uh, don't stay over there, come over here. I'm just telling her to do one thing. I can just say, come over here. I can say, don't stay over there. It all means the same thing. Repentance is changing your mind. You can't trust Christ as a sinner, recognizing your inability and wanting him alone to save you without changing your mind about whatever you thought about this stuff prior to that. So it's the same thing. It's not two different things. It's not two steps. John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in him who was coming after him, Jesus, and that's what he does, John the Baptist does in John chapter 1. That's the Lamb of God. Believe in him. Follow him. This is all about him. Talking about the fact baptism is important. Water baptism is an important ritual, but it's not part of the terms of receiving eternal salvation. Uh, we talked about the terrorist on the cross a lot recently. Look at Luke 23. I know everybody calls him the thief on the cross, including the New American Standard Bible, but they know, what I think the King James translators knew, that the Greek text there uses a generic term for criminal. But we know from Roman ancient history that the Romans only crucified rebels against Rome. They, they killed other criminals other ways, but they reserved crucifixion to force the rebel to submit to Roman authority publicly by carrying his cross and then had the worst possible torture they could think of to try to give a disincentive for rattling your Roman chains. They didn't like that kind of rebellion. So look at uh, Luke 23, 39. One of the criminals, and that's a good translation. The Greek term is generic, but we know those are actually Roman rebels, at least in the Roman mind, they're rebels. So these are bad dudes, generally speaking. One of the criminals who was hanged there next to Jesus was hurling abuse at Christ, saying, aren't you the Christ? Aren't you the one in the Old Testament promise? That's what everybody's saying about you. Save yourself and save us. Do a miracle to save us. But the other criminal, the other terrorist on the other side of the cross, um, answered his fellow, rebuking his fellow criminal, and said, don't you even fear God? Don't you even fear God since you're since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And indeed, we're suffering justly. We deserve this. We have been Roman rebels. We have knifed a couple of Roman sentries or killed a couple of Jewish tax collectors working for the Romans. But this man's done nothing wrong. And then he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he's just saying, look, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I got nothing. I can't save myself, but I want you to. You don't have to be a theologian to be saved. Little children can be saved. Ask Sidney. Sydney, you know, the male. Okay, he was saved at age eight. I was saved at age nine. Cooper's saved at age eight, right? It can happen. Truly I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. And we talked about that last week as we talked about the three heavens, right? I personally love Romans four five to make this crystal clear. Word of God says, But to the one who does not work, including being water baptized, or joining a church, or walking an aisle, or signing a card. But who believes in him, active receptive trust in Jesus who justifies, who does Jesus justify? You gotta be ungodly to be saved, but don't worry, you qualify, right? <laughs> that person's faith is reckoned as righteousness. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness comes from God on the basis of faith. Let's talk about the meaning of the term. The New Testament term translated baptized is baptizo. And it means to put or place into and or to identify with or to immerse. It was used for cloth being immersed in dye and then coming out and being uh, having that color now imposed on it. And so let's make that thing spin because for some reason when I organize these things, I think that's a good idea. But uh, that's what water baptism is. It's being placed into the water as you're identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ as a believer. Now, there are two kinds of baptisms, Anthony. I said that at the beginning of this baptism subsection here. You've got real baptism, and you've got ritual baptism. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Now, our charismatic friends quite often make this a second event after you've come to saving faith. Paul describes it as something that's true for every believer, including the carnal 
Christians uh, in the church of Corinth. He kind of lets them have it in both First and Second Corinthians for a lot of their sloppiness and selfishness. But he tells them the basis of their doing the right thing is what God's done in them, not what they can do for God. And among other things, he says, you guys need to get along in your local church and realize you all got different roles to play and you all need each other. And he says that unity has been imposed on you by a work called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But since the word baptism means to place into, let's use that definition here. I think it'll make it slightly clearer. For by one spirit, the Holy Spirit, the moment of saving faith, you were put into one body. And that's the worldwide capital C church. It's not the Southern Baptist Church or the Tangled Bible Fellowship Church. It's the body of Christ of all colors, countries, um, cultures, colors, country, cultures, generations, denominations. Uh, the moment Homer believed he was part of the universal body of Christ. Before he was water baptized. You typically join uh, many local churches by being water baptized or having been water baptized by them. Whatever the rules are, it's fine. But that's ritual. That's not real. Real baptism is what God does for you at the moment of saving faith with the Holy Spirit, a ministry called the baptism of the Holy Spirit of placing you into the body of Christ. Whether you're a Jew who believed or a Greek, whether you're a slave or free, we're all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. We've all been placed into the universal body of Christ. So, you know, TBF doesn't have a, a formal, official membership. We have what I call a functional membership. You're as much a member as you want to be based on your function, right? Other churches have a big church covenant you got to agree stuff to and, and this and that and the other. And there's a place for that. I, you know, a lot of times I kind of wish we had one, you know, because sometimes you could use it against people, you know. <laughs> I use it to encourage them to do the right thing. But since you don't say anything around here, we got to kind of depend you actually get you and the Spirit actually do it. But, uh, yeah, we're all members of the only church that counts, the capital C Universal Church. And uh, we need to realize that. And, and quite often, uh, you know, Atlanta, one of the criticisms of Christianity is there's like, uh, whatever it is, 36,000 different Christian denominations. So the Bible's so clear why there's so many different, different denominations. On the main things that are plain things, these essential doctrinal uh, functions and the essential uh, requirement, obligation for us to love God and love other people, uh, the vast majority of those guys are all on the same page on that. It's all the other minor things and some of the fine points of theology we disagree on, right? So, yeah, that's real baptism. That's spiritual baptism. That's God placing New Testament believers into the BOC. What's that? The body of Christ, the universal capital C church. We're thinking about water baptism and salvation. Water baptism is an important testimony of salvation. It doesn't save anybody. I could baptize somebody every Sunday. If they're not a believer, it's not going to do anything for them that way, right? So, one more thing on baptism, then we'll go back and finish our con consideration of the Great Commission here. Um, you know, if you've only got five minutes to try to tell people why you don't believe water baptism is an essential salvation, I think I would say these two things. Well, you've got to be baptized to be saved, and Jesus didn't save anybody, because John 4, 1 and 2, I won't take the time, but read it later, we're told that Jesus never water baptized anybody. He let his disciples do that. So if you had to be water baptized to wash away your sins, why isn't Jesus baptizing everybody who comes to him in faith? And the one I really like is, if water baptism is essential, Paul wouldn't say, uh, God, didn't call, God did not call me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Okay? And he's saying, I'm thankful I didn't baptize any of you people in Corinth because you're using who baptized you to set up a pecking order because Apollos baptized me or Peter baptized me. And then he said, you know what? I did, I did baptize a couple of you, but I don't want you to use that as some kind of basis for spiritual superiority because baptism is just a ritual. Ritual baptism, water baptism isn't real. It's just a ritual. Important, but not part of salvation. Go back to the Great Commission. You got one command, make disciples of Jesus. Disciples here are born-again believers living a consistent, credible Christian life. It's not uh, sinless perfection, but it's a righteous direction in the ups and downs. And he says, make disciples of white nations, developed nations, of all nations, right? So let's talk about that. How could a little church in a little town in Oklahoma 
actually participate, I mean participate, in the ongoing fulfillment of the Great Commission. Isn't that kind of a grandiose claim, Pastor Brad? I mean, come on, you're not a mega church. Uh, you know, TBF has always been sold out to support full-time missionaries, and those are the ones that do most of the heavy lifting. But at least since 1991, we've been all over the world sharing the gospel. It's, it's crazy. You can't hardly believe it, but it's true. Um, and I love this part. Uh, in 1991, I fell in love with a Mexican man. His name's is Yanez. Not Irao. I'm talking about Agape, man. But from 91 through 2017, almost every year, we skipped a couple. We went to central Mexico and helped uh, the church down there. We'll see some pictures in a minute. We don't have any pictures of the Esquintla trip, although Steve Howard went, and he takes pictures of everything, so I should get some pictures. But we were there. Me, Larry, and uh, and Steve went to Guatemala in 96. Amon, Jordan, northwest China. Homer, have you north, north, ever been in northwest China sharing the gospel, living the gospel? We sure have. Let's show you some pictures here. I always loved this because I never heard of Puebla, Mexico until the first time I was there. But uh, there's Mexico City, right? This is the state of Puebla, and there's the city of Puebla. And we're almost due south. It's like we're just, you know, designed to get together because Duncan is basically right there. And you go due south, and there's Puebla, Puebla. It's like New York, New York. It sounds so nice. They named it twice. And uh, I always thought Jerusalem was in in Israel, but actually it's in Mexico. Because Iglesia, that means church, Batista, that's Baptist. We love Tomas anyway. Jerusalem, and they uh, transliterate that with an N, not an M, that's not a mistake. But that's the pastor of Jerusalem Baptist Church. Now he's the pastor of the church in the city. I just picked a couple of random pictures. I like this one. I think this was the first year James went with us. And there is uh, Colton, who serves in the U.S. Coast Guard. There's Carmen, part of Carmen's head. People criticize my picture-taking techniques. I usually have the back of people's heads, but I got Stephanie straight on. So tell her I got her right there. Uh, you recognize that guy, David, at all? Yeah. There's Cade Gallahar. He was here just a couple weeks ago, wasn't he? He's still still alive and well, right? That was in Puebla. Uh, this was uh, Alberto, that's Tomas, that's Jesus. I actually met Jesus in Mexico. His name's Jesus. And here's my, here's my favorite Puebla picture. Debbie's not crazy about it for some reason. But this is Debbie and Domingo Lopez, and there's a funny story about that. That's Domingo's son. He wasn't happy. I occasionally I see people like that here, and that bothers me. But there... <laughs> There's not my fault. You know, I'm just a short timer. Yeah, it happens. And there's a picture of me trying to get everybody on the bus, I think. Uh, there's Stephanie again, right? There's Debbie. There's James. Well, okay, let's move from Mexico to China. <laughs> again, when they told us when Stephen Wycliffe set it up so he could go teach English in China, I said, how am I going to speak English in China? I don't speak Chinese. I don't even speak English that well. I speak Oklahoman fairly well. This is called the chicken head part of China. If you look at it, it almost looks like a chicken head, doesn't it, Sonia? A little bit. Uh, and, you know, you know, obviously Beijing, where the Great Wall is and all that, gets all the press. But Harbin is a huge city. Uh, north of North Korea, this is kind of fuzzed out, but there's North Korea, South Korea. So we just just do north of North Korea, which kind of blew my mind. And anyway, we work with some Southern Baptist folks at a place called the Bridge of Meaning, which is basically a missionary campus outpost just across the street from a large university. And there was our uh, our team. There's Dr. Buchanan, right? There's Coach Bowers. Uh, there's Homer. There's Pam. There's uh, Maxine. Maxine was in China with us. There's Jack. There's Sue. Uh, that's the guy that went with you guys to Jamasu, I think. They sent me to Chi-Chi Har with no translator. Uh, me and Andrew and, and uh, Carla... And her mom and Jean's, uh, cousin. We all, we were the, she, she, Peggy, Peggy. We were all part of that, that detachment. There's China. And I tell you what, one of the most, biggest blessings I've ever experienced and one of the least deserved and the most unexpected was being asked to teach soteriology with an Arabic translator in 2003 
5 and uh, 7. And I know I met you in the, uh, in the, uh, fall of 04 because you recorded the first three classes of that semester because I knew I was going to be in Amman that next January. That's where I first met Anthony. By God's providence, he happened to be in my class and like the first day we were talking, I found out you were a video guy and I mentioned, man, I need to video some these classes because I'm going to miss the first three classes next January. He said, I can do it for you. And the next class, boom, there you were. But what's unusual about, this is a master's level soteriology class at a theological seminary, the only Christian theological seminary in the Arab world uh, called Jordan Evangelical Theological Seminary. What's unusual about that picture in the Arab world in the graduate school? They don't let women take graduate courses in the Arab world. Christians do. The Muslims pretty much don't. Few, very few exceptions. But uh, modern classrooms, where in the heck is Jordan? I'm going to tell a story on Bonnie Aldridge. Jordan is right between Israel and Iraq, basically. It's in the Middle East. It's a real country. But the first year I went, 2003, that was January 2003. In March of 2003, the war started. And we all knew we were ramping up for the war. And so, you know, as I'm leaving, my wife's crying. My sisters don't want me. At Christmas don't want me to come back home. but don't want me to go to Jordan. Everybody's all upset about me going to Jordan. Uh, Bill Sheldon said, who's blind, said, Brad, before you go, you got to grow a beard so you can blend in with them better. <laughs> I said, number one, you should have told me that before the day before I was going to leave. Number two... I don't think I'm going to blend in that well. I might, but but anyway, so everybody was praying for me, and I had a, just a mountaintop experience. I lived there a minute of it. Got back home, and I think the first prayer meeting after I got back home, when it was over, Bonnie Aldridge walks up and says, "Well, Brad, how was your trip to Georgia? We've been praying for you for three long weeks. Did you well, did you go to Atlanta?" I said, "Bonnie, I didn't go to Georgia. I went to Jordan. Where's that?" Uh, I said, between Israel and Iraq. He said, oh, I'm, good thing we prayed, huh? Yeah. <laughs> that really happened. you got to love it. Now, Homer and Pam have met the uh, the president of this school, Dr. Ahmad Shahada, and he's got a Ph.D. from Dallas Theological Seminary, which is a good school. And there we are in front of Academic One there. Uh, great, great school. Uh, Arabic translator, they actually took my basic PowerPoint diagrams, and if you'd known Arabic, I would let you do it, but they didn't, I, we don't know Arabic, so there's one of my diagrams about the gospel with the Arabic that I used. This is Rafiq, he was my third translator. The first year I had a guy named Isa, which is Arabic for Jesus. Uh, the second year I had Francis, and then I had Rafiq from Egypt, he was an Egyptian. But we had PowerPoint, uh, we had whiteboards, we had everything. And again, this was uh, the class in 2007. And again, you see a lot of women there, which is a great thing. That's uh, that's Bella, who is uh, Habil Yusuf's. Habil was a soldier for Saddam Hussein, First Gulf War in 90, when was the First Gulf? 91, who should have been killed three times by American ordnance and the bombs didn't go off. And he had a feeling Allah was trying to tell him something when the war was over. He was a reluctant member of their military. He and his wife, with just the clothes on their backs, crossed the border, came to, to Jordan from Iraq, became believers, and uh, he became uh, not just an outstanding graduate, but a member of the, uh, the staff of the school. And there's his wife, a wonderful young lady, Bella Yusuf. But that's the end of that part. But what, what holds us together as we do the, live out the Great Commission, as we, by God's grace, live uh, uh, consistent and credible Christian lives? Well, it's all about who Jesus Christ is. I mean, that's the thing that holds the Christian church together, right? Uh, because Christ died for our sins. We don't have to die in our sins. The last thing he says at the end of the atoning sacrifice is, usually translated, it is finished in English. That's three words, Peg. In English, it's just one word in Greek. It's tetelestai. And tetelestai was a word that means paid in full. You, you, they, they would type it or write it out, I should say, on bills of sale. If you buy a donkey and you're walking across the village so that people won't think you stole the Publius' donkey, Publius will have filled out a bill of sale and said tetelestai. If you paid for it, say, I didn't steal it. I bought this thing. So it is finished could be a whimper resignation. It could mean a lot of things. But it means paid in full, mission accomplished. And so we often say, 
that the Great Commission is in the process of being fulfilled by God's providence and his sovereign grace. And, you know, you've seen this diagram many times about the different denominations that focus on the gospel, the born-again folks in the different denominations. But let's do this slightly differently. Mexicans who trust Christ. Brazilians who trust Christ. Sudanese. Like uh, one of my students, I think in 05, his name was Tut Kong. And he was the president of a little Bible college in Sudan. Uh, and all he had was a bachelor's degree. So I'm not sure it was fully accredited, but he was getting his master's degree. And uh, uh, it's been a very dangerous place to be a Christian in the last 15 years in Sudan, as you probably know. Swiss people, whether that they whether or not they eat Swiss cheese doesn't matter. U.S. Americans, you know, when I first heard that, you know, academics want us to call ourselves U.S. Americans. I said that is so artificial. I don't like that. And they said, "Well, what do you want to call us?" And I said, "United Statesians." No, that, that's not going to catch on. <laughs> but the thing is, uh, realize. Some people take offense at the term American, not because they hate, you know, not because of Colin Kaepernick or something like that, but because if you think about it, you've got North America, Central America, South America. So Argentinians are Americans. They're South Americans. Okay? Uh, people from Peru are Americans. I mean, people from Canada are Americans. They're North Americans. So you have to be careful about that term. So I don't mind calling us ourselves U.S. Americans. However, it's funny because in Puebla, they have no such problem with that. In fact, they came up with a label for us. We, they call us Norte Americanos. The Mexican Christians call us North Americans, even though th- technically they're North Americans too, but they're south of us. So but anyway, U.S. Americans, people from the USA who are born again, they're part of the Christian church, the capital C church, the only one that counts. Russians, Chinese, Pakistanis, the whole thing. You know, we are the most inclusive organization in world history. Whosoever will may come. Uh, this is the will of my Father that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him has everlasting life, and I myself will raise Him up in the last day. Is that any good? Is that inclusive? And yet the media is making us these big bad people because we actually have some standards. And I don't think that's true at all. I think we got to, what, what's the best response to that? You're, you're exclusionary. You're you're negative. You're critical. Hey, Christian Church, the capital C Church, bigger than a, than any denomination you think of, is the most inclusive organization in world history. Right? I'm going to finish this way. Just a word about our concept of ministry as we try to make disciples, um, be disciples, make disciples. Um, I always feel like TBF is more like a spiritual greenhouse than just a lighthouse. I feel like we focus on spiritual whole food. Not just Bible McNuggets. I think I made that up all by myself. We're more of a spiritual Simmons Center of the gymnastics area, not the uh, aerobic area, I should say, not gymnastics. I'm not doing gymnastics. Over over a spiritual spa. Uh, now, I think I may have stressed this too much, especially recently, but I've always said, <laughs> I don't believe TBF is the only good church in a town of 80 or 90 or 100 churches. Uh, and we're not even the best church for everybody, but I do think that we've got a track record and we've got some core values that are really biblical, and I think God has honored that. Uh, and I got this from Curtis Hale. We're more of a spiritual battleship than a cruise ship. Now, I want to make sure you've got an illustration. That, my friends, is a cruise ship. That is a battleship. You see any differences? Um, you see that cruise ship? Lots and lots of rooms. They make lots and lots of money. Uh, they've got water slides right there. They got swimming pools. They got a big auditorium, so you see people juggle and use a uh, chainsaw to make a, a statues out of pieces of ice. Magicians uh, on the cruise we went to Norwegian. We had bingo every day. It's bingo time, which was like the highlight of the day for me. Um, I said, I, I like bingo. I mean, I, maybe I should be Catholic or something. I don't know. Um, but anyway, you see, that's a cruise boat. It's got all the amenities. You see uh, any water slides on that boat? <laughs> any auditorium for magicians to to do their thing? That's what the local church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a destroyer or a battleship in this case. And uh, you know, you look at the differences. It's not a vacation. It's not a holiday. It's not just for fun, fun, fun. It's uh, it's important. It's challenging. Uh, rather than being a passive critic of the crew, you're supposed to be an active member of the crew. 
You're not there to be served, but to serve. You're not just getting, I like, man, I think, uh, you know, Homer and Pam have been on a lot of cruises before we went on the first one. And she said, man, I hope you like cruises as much as we do because we just love them. And I kind of thought, what's there not to like? And, uh, except the fact you gain seven pounds. I mean, it's a weird thing. You're on there, but for seven days, you gain seven pounds. But I, I liked it. You know, I enjoyed the process. Uh, I think that's a great analogy. I won't, uh, bang the pulpit too much on that today, but, uh, I'll end with this. I was always the slowest person uh, in kickball. I just, I've just got white man's disease. I can't jump and I'm slow, which is probably why I ended up with golf because you don't have to run between shots, you know? Uh, in fact, when you get old, you ride between shots. So that was a good thing. And pitchers don't really have to run. So if they can throw strikes, they're okay. So I, those are the two things I was pretty good at. But as far as basketball, I wasn't any good. I couldn't dribble, couldn't shoot, and I was real slow. Couldn't jump and football. We, we actually had we had flag football in the middle school in Birmingham, and that we didn't even have uh, contact uh, uh, football at, in that. We were, we were kind of a small school, uh, and I did that. And I wasn't that very good at that. But uh, my the fact that I wanted to be a good athlete, and so I had as a, the slowest guy on all the teams I was on. That taught me the the importance of showing up. Because some people that are really good don't show up, so you get to play if you show up and they don't. And you got to be consistent to the team. You got to give the best you got. Uh, if I I couldn't, I was never tempted to go half speed around the bases on the softball team. Because if I went half speed, I would get lapped. <laughs> I mean, I remember like Ryan Rao was really fast, and I, if I'm on first and he's hitting, he almost caught me several times before I got to second. If he hit an extra base hit, I mean, it was scary. He almost caught me, and I'm running as fast as I can. So there's no temptation for me to go half speed because this is not going to work, right? Uh, playing my position role, I, I, I knew there's a lot of positions I couldn't play, but the few I was fairly good at, I really got into. And I realized that's directly analogous to how not everybody's got Sonya's pipes. Now, I know you've worked hard to, to magnify that, but, I mean, most people aren't given the gift you've got. Uh, not everybody's got the patience of Debbie McCoy or the way the uh, Deegs have embraced Wednesday night and done such a great job with the kids. You know, they've got a real desire and a heart to do that. And you look around the room and you can think, Carol's digitizing all my stuff for me. Anthony, as I said, uh, you know, did a great film on the Pueblo uh, campaign, which is on YouTube. You can check it out sometime if you want to see that. It's incredible stuff. And I don't expect Homer to make a video like that, but Homer does a lot of other things for us, right? So I'll end with this analogy. You know, as a pastor, I'm saying, hey, God wants you to show up and be loyal to your team. Uh, give us the best you got. It may not be very much like my mom said. Brad, you don't have very much, but give us what you got. You know, So, okay, mom, I'll do that. <laughs> and play your position. Not everybody is supposed to be in front of the, the group, like leading worship like James or doing pulpit ministry. Uh, but you got other roles to play. I mean, Katie and Lloyd do a lot of stuff way under cover. I mean... Olga and uh, Danny and, I mean, Sharon and David, I mean, they'll give you the shirt off their back, okay? I mean, they'll, they'll do whatever they can to help you in all kinds of different areas. So, you know, one thing I want you to remember, I didn't start coming to church when I became a professional Christian in August of 82 in Shreveport. I loved going to church from day one. Even before I was saved, I loved going to church for some reason. But Sunday is special. Why is Sunday special? And look at the picture and tell me why. Sunday's special because it's the day of the resurrection. We don't just celebrate, we all celebrate the resurrection every day. How can you live your Christian life without celebrating the resurrection every day? But it's not just Easter Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection every Sunday. And the first significant thing Christians ought to do, all of the factors equal, and if you're out of town on a Sunday, you've got company and they won't wake up, I get that. You get sick, things happen. But the first significant thing Christians should do on the first day of the week, that God's giving you a new week, I think is get together with believers of like mind and practice for Bible study, fellowship, worship, prayer, and celebrate the gospel. I mean, why not? So it's a commitment. I mean, it's not easy for the powers to drive from loco here, especially when they got a house full of people and two doctors, you know, pretty close to doctors, you know. Uh, and by the way, MD doesn't stand for minor deity. <laughs> Just remember that. But... Um, yeah, and you know, TBF is an amazing organism. I, when I think of TBF, I don't just think of who shows up on a Sunday. I think of all the ripple effects. You know, Jamie and Jonathan grew up in this church, and I, 
was was uh, uh, Blake the first person baptized in that tank? Am I right on that? I think he was. I think Blake Bearden was the first person baptized in in this tank when after he built the new building. And I'm pretty sure Jamie and Jonathan were baptized that first time. We kind of had a backlog because we were waiting for this to be finished. And so in two weeks, I'm going to baptize Cooper, Jamie's son. Yeah, so Jamie's one of the first ones I baptized. Cooper would probably be the last one I baptized here. Although I'm only three hours away. If you need somebody to baptize you, I can come down, you know. Um, I got, you know, expenses, you know, but no. <laughs> nah. And, you know, honor, sometimes you get an honorarium for a funeral or for a wedding and stuff. I never think about that. I'm almost embarrassed to accept it. Sometimes people, one person I can remember at a pretty fancy wedding forgot to give me the honorarium they meant to. And I noticed it like driving away, but I didn't think anything about it. I thought they'll mail it to me. They never did. And it's been long enough now I brought it up. You know, you never paid me an honorarium for that. But, and I, it's kind of embarrassing even to get it. I'm, I don't, I don't peddle the gospel nor my services. I'm, I'm there for you if you need me. Now, well, so you've re- refused your check for 31 years. No, I very happily take it. But you don't pay me to come on Sundays and Wednesdays. Hey, Ken, I do all this for free. It's everything else I got to do, including getting prepared for this. That's what you're paying me for. You're not paying me to come to church and do this. It's, it's, all the teaching is free. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think uh, TBF understands this. Uh, and it's not just because I'm the pastor, because Homer's an elder, even though those, it's a bonus for you in that sense. But Sunday's special, so we should prioritize it because it's uh, us saying to God, thank you for giving us another week. And the first significant thing I'm going to do on the first day of this new week you're giving me, which is a gift, if at all possible, and sometimes it's not, is to be with my, my fellow believers, you know, at a, at a good local church. It's not about the pastor, it's about the Savior, okay? That's the Great Commission. That's all you need to know about it, okay? Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for giving us a mission, and thank you that we don't have to be part of a mega church or in a big city to be just as much a part of your capital C Universal Church is somebody who's in a big church in Southern California uh, with a big program sending missionary teams out every week. You've allowed us to send missionary teams out from people in this room to China, to Mexico, uh, to Guatemala. Uh, and we've actually been able to get our feet wet doing that. And so we're very, very thankful for that. Um, we pray that you would uh, not make this some odious obligation, but that we'd engage thankfully and we would with grateful hearts uh, endeavor to live for the one who died for us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.